Hello and welcome to the Lakers Side Chats. I'm your host, as always, Alan Ramage. Joined with me today is probably like the only guy who I consider to like, you know, love basketball more than me. And that 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 is that is the biggest compliment I can give anyone. Jason Tim, welcome to the show, sir. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Alan, thanks for uh, inviting me on. I'm always, 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 always down to talk some basketball, especially Lakers. And I'm pumped that you invited me on. And I'm. I'm uh, uh, stoked to get to the bottom of all of this drama that we have on our platter. Oh, I love drama. I love drama. <laughs> it's great. But yeah, so obviously, um, I was going to choose to record earlier, but obviously, I, full disclosure to people listening, I told Jason, oh yeah, we're playing Phoenix on Sunday. Let's record Monday. And not not realizing that LeBron would injure himself on Saturday. So that, that worked out, you know, not well for LeBron, unfortunately. Not well for our chances of winning the next few weeks, but it's given us a lot of interesting things to touch on. Um, so going into the Phoenix game, the one thing I really wanted to see was a whether the defensive intensity would be there without LeBron, AD, and Mark Gasol, and b how Dennis Schroeder would look, how Taylor Horton Tucker would look, how Montrez Harrell would look, because I think he goes to being like the second option on a team with Dennis Schroeder and Kyle Kuzma and Montrez Harrell. I think he's the second best player in that um, situation. I I know we lost in the end by 17, and I think that so- score doesn't really tell the whole story of that game. I think, especially that third quarter, I thought the Lakers were really, really good. I'm really intrigued to see if this continues on, because if it does, I think that they'll steady the ship a lot better than what people are expecting them to. So I, I last night went about exactly as I expected it to. Um, you know, the, there's there's every team has an identity, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, the identity is usually like uh, the stuff that you establish in training camp, and it's the stuff that you lean on when uh, when the stuff hits the fan, for for lack of a better term. And so the way that I looked at it, I could I, I knew I could count on this Laker team to compete, mm-hmm. uh, especially defensively without LeBron and AD. However, with the way that the roster is set up, so many of the guys on that roster, think Wesley Matthews, think Contavious Caldwell-Pope, think Markeith Morris, these kind of guys, they depend on the game being simplified for them. And so, you know, I saw a lot of chatter from a lot of Laker fans last night complaining about how KCP hasn't been very effective or complaining about Wesley Matthews. And what frustrates me about that is like we're we're losing sight of the fact that that they were never meant to be this high on the depth chart in terms of what their actual offensive responsibilities were. This has never been what it was supposed to be like. And so, if you would have told me going into last night that they would they would compete and defend and do the best they could to try to stay competitive, but that they would struggle to generate offense and that guys would uh, 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 struggle to make threes because the quality of the threes they would be getting wouldn't be very good. Uh, this It was kind of exactly what I expected. And for the record, Phoenix is a very, very good team. And, 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 and they've had a couple of losses recently, uh, namely you know to the Timberwolves, and then I think they dropped a game to the Pacers. Uh, so they're not they're not in like a lull to sleep type of mode where they would drop a game to a limited mm-hmm. team. They were going to come out and be all business last night, and it kind of went as I expected. Yeah, and you know, like you said, I think especially the Minnesota loss because Indiana is a good team in its own right. That's getting healthy now, especially with Karis LeVert coming back. Um, 
Minnesota, I think, really shook him up to be like, look, we can't take this Laker team lightly, even with LeBron and AD being out and Marc Gasol. I always had the Marc Gasol part because I think Marc Gasol has been really good and people just, you know, dismiss that because, you know, he doesn't block shots like JaVale McGee. Um, He's a starter. He's a starter. He's their starting center. You're missing three all-defensive type play. One defensive player of the year, formerly and two all defensive players in LeBron and AD and Marc Gasol. So, like you said, I think it did go about as what I expected it to do too. But I think it was also nice to get those things that I wanted to see reaffirmed. And it wasn't just like mentally it should be this. I think Dennis Schroeder, um, there was a lot of criticism around his game on Saturday uh, against Atlanta. And I hate these matinee games, even though it's great for me because it's regular time for me. (laughs) I hate it from a point that I know that this is messing up their rhythm completely. And I don't think anyone played particularly well against the Hawks. I can't single out anyone who was really good and who wasn't. I've Trez a little bit in the fourth, but apart from that, not really. Um, But yeah, Steen Schroeder bounced back on Sunday was such a really good game. And the fact that he's hitting multiple freezing games now, I think is really, really important for the Lakers moving on. Taylor Horton Tucker looks like a legitimate rotation player at 20 years old, which is wild because, you know, he should not be playing right now on a championship team anyway. And I think he's legitimately made the case that he should be playing deep into the playoffs, which is a great situation for the Lakers to have. What's your take on those two in particular? Because I can't be higher on both of those guys. So, okay, I'm going to agree with you on one and disagree with you on the other. So as far as Dennis Schroeder goes, I, I 100% agree. I think people do need to adjust their their uh, expectations relative agree. to what it's going to be like without LeBron and AD because I do expect them to free fall in the standings, at least down to sixth, just because of how competitive the West is, just because of how much talent there is, and the fact that it's really hard to win basketball games with this roster missing three starters. Uh, now, however, I like what Dennis brings to the table is – absolutely ideal for a third star. And it was one of the problems that kind of held, think of the Cavs as an example when they Mm -hmm. had Kevin Love and Kyrie and LeBron. Because Kevin Love was not a great defensive player and because Kevin Love kind of struggled with confidence issues a lot, he would, in so many games, look like he was lost. And then LeBron and Kyrie would be off being amazing. Well, Mm -hmm. Dennis Schroeder, because he competes defensively and because he is such a like alpha dog type of personality... He's that perfect third guy because he's not going to disappear from games in that regard. And so I, I expect him to do his very best to try to carry them over the next you know three to four weeks. Um, uh, and I and I and I depend on him in that regard. I just think people need to adjust their expectations because I don't expect them to beat really really good teams with this level of talent. As far as uh, uh, as far as THT goes, I think I think. Frank Vogel values defensive focus so Mm -hmm. much that when it comes down to it and the rotation is eight or nine guys deep in the playoffs and he can depend on KCP and he can depend on Dennis and, you know, and he can uh, 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 depend on um, uh, who am I blanking on? Wes Wes Matthews. He's going to default, I think. Alex Caruso is another one. He's going to default to those four guys. Because mm-hmm. he can count on them defensively. And I think THT might get squeezed there. That's just my opinion. I'm a mm-hmm. believer in what THT does. He's like mini Kawhi. He's such an incredible defensive player mm-hmm. when he is in the right spot. 
and he's very, very good offensively. You could see the talent. Uh, but I do wonder if if Frank's going to default back to what he can depend on. Because Wesley Matthews looked horrible last night because he's always going to look horrible when he's not getting wide-open shots. Like, he was making a bunch of shots early against Atlanta, and if you watched him, it was because he was just staying in there wide open. And and I can count on him in that regard, but when he's playing with lesser offensive players and he's getting more contested shots, he's going to look old. He's going to mm-hmm. look short and slow, and he's going to look like, oh, why is this guy uh, one of the guys we're depending on in the championship game? But I think I, I I don't I think THT will get similar run in this playoff run to what he did last year, mm-hmm. where where they're going to put him in, and if it's going good, they're going to ride him for a little bit. But you're going to have f- four or five game stretches where you won't see him at all. That's just my guess, and I could be wrong. That's just my read on the situation. I, I could definitely see that happening, but as we talked about before before we started recording, I'm hoping that this is the um, teething problem stage where you're seeing the teething issues where you're seeing him miss defensive assignments and the defensive focus and it's all preparing for the playoffs where he'll step up a level i might be completely wrong on that by the way i'm just trying to extrapolate to that point if you know what i mean because you know two months of basketball before the playoffs start especially because he's going to be getting a bigger role now especially with lebron being out i think will help him a lot especially in terms of his development being a guy who was playing what, 14 to 18 minutes a night to going up to playing like, he'll probably be playing 30 minutes a game now. Bearing no doubt. Depends on how he plays. He might get his minutes cut a little bit or if Caruso's playing a little bit better, he might play a bit bit less. But I think he'll be in and around the 30 minute mark for the time being anyway. So what, what'll be interesting because there the pathway to THT becoming a dependable rotation guy in the playoffs mm-hmm. is... One that defensive end, and it's not him. It's not him when he's in the play and in the right spot because he's such a disruptor. There, his hands are huge. He's got super long arms. He's very laterally quick. Uh, it's the off ball stuff. It's not getting lost. It's not losing shooters. It's the communication. It's the being on a string when the chaos happens and he has to be in the right spot in rotations. But what is if there a point of optimism is how good he's been attacking closeouts, mm-hmm. uh, and you see this a lot when he's been playing with LeBron. Because this is what he would do in a playoff. They're not going to run a ton of THT pick and roll or THT ISOs in a playoff series. It's just not going to no. happen. But when he gets that advantage, when the guy's closing out on him, and he's and he's and he's got a little bit of an advantage and a little bit of space to work with, he's really good at getting the defender on his hip and finishing with that little reverse layup over the back of his head or the other way around, just using his length. He's got so much, and he's so strong. He can bully mm-hmm. guys and just finish right at the rim. The, the uh, that would be the pathway for him is that like simplified, you know, defensive weapon and then attacking closeouts on the other end. But the problem is, I have a feeling they'll just leave him completely wide open at the three point line. But if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. he's sub thirty percent on the season from threes. So that would be the the flip side of that is it, from a scheme standpoint, teams are just going to leave him completely wide open uh, in the playoff series. I could definitely see that happening, like you say, just because of the fact that yeah, he is shooting, you know, sub. 30% and the fact that he's still shooting 45% from the field is astounding to me when you're shooting that badly from free. Exactly. So that tells you that tells you how good he is from inside the three-point line. But he's still 20 years old. And I think his stroke is one where he can, with repetition and with more game time and actually, you know, playing a whole NBA season, because we have to remember what he's played like 40 games in the NBA. He's not played a lot. And a lot of them has been like, you know, garbage time minutes where he comes in like, you know, a couple of minutes towards the end of the game. 
it will come with time. It's just you have to be patient with young players. It's just it doesn't match the timeline of a championship team at times, and I can see why people would get sort of frustrated at times. But I love THT, so I never will get frustrated with him. <laughs> <laughs> I love him too. I'm just I I would I say that if that. you had to put a spectrum, mm-hmm. like on a scale of one to one hundred in terms of Laker fans and how excited they are about THT, I'm lower than most. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of like, I don't think he's going to be a star, uh, mm-hmm. but I do see there's a a clearly discernible future for him in the sense that because he translates defensively and because he can attack. He can. He has the ability to be like almost like a KCP type mm-hmm. offensive player, like a guy who can knock down threes and kill people in closeouts and run the floor in transition. He has that ability, and then like a little bit better than KCP in the sense that if you get him in a mismatch, like a smaller guard on him, he's so strong that he can be an isolation score. You can kind of mm-hmm. like draw a picture for what twenty five year old THT is going to look like, and it's definitely a pro. It's definitely a starter. It's definitely a guy that will be a, a you know a weapon i just don't see him as like all-star tht the way that some segments of lakers twitter do if that makes sense i i, I understand where you're coming from and when we talk about players ceilings likelihood is players never actually make their ceiling unless you're like lebron james or kobe bryant <laughs> or anthony davis or kevin durant basically unless you're like a top 50 player of all time it's very seldom that players hit their ceiling I think THT's ceiling, like like I I agree with you where I think that's what he will be. But my ceiling for him is a better Eric Gordon. That's where my mind's been since I saw him play last year. And if you're a better version of Eric Gordon, you sort of are an all-star type player. You're like on the fringe of being there. But I can see, I absolutely don't think he'll be like all NBA like at any point in his career. I think because of the popularity of LA Laker players, I think he'll probably get to a all-star game if he gets relatively close to his ceiling. That's that's my belief on THC. Eric Gordon's a great comp. I I thought the same thing. I've said it before on on one of my podcasts. Like he just has that it's like a little undersized, mm-hmm. but he makes up for it with above average athleticism and just crazy strength and competitiveness. Like that that to me is like a really really good comp for him. Now the flip side is is Eric Gordon all the way dating back to college when he was at Indiana was an incredible shooter. Uh, he had to, he did, like coaches used yeah. to dream about his form, you know, like he, he's, mm-hmm. he's, so that would be the, the one difference, but THT probably has better physical tools. Like his arms are longer than Eric's. So yeah. it, he definitely has uh, the ability to be a better defensive player, but good comp. And I agree. Like it, the, the thing with Eric Gordon is he's impossible to screen because he's got these super strong shoulders and, and he just fights over the top of everything. And he's always up in your grill. That's that like defensive potential combined with THT's length where he could be an all-defense level guard mixed in with a 18 to 20 point per game guy, which by the way, you're right, is an all-star uh, or comp- competing for an all-star, especially in like the Eastern Conference. So I agree with you for the, in terms of his ceiling. Yeah, so moving to the elephant in the room, you know, I'm surprised we've basically gone 15 minutes without <laughs> discussing LeBron James's injury. But I think this is the, the correct time to move on to it. Just because, you know, it it's it happened at a very funny point in the Lakers season that the trade deadline we're recording on a Monday. Trade deadline is this Thursday, the 25th, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the 25th of March. So, yeah, LeBron's injury, we got it confirmed that it was a high ankle sprain. It's out indefinitely. 
from looking at him walking yesterday, I know he had the boot on, he didn't seem to be in a lot of pain, which makes me indicate that it's not a severe high ankle sprain, which would make me more worried about his um, recovery time and whatnot. And obviously LeBron James's pain barrier is like anything that me and you have ever seen in our lives. So that helps as well, you know. So are you worried that when he comes back, particularly whether he'll be able to regain the form that he was starting to show? Because that I, th I think, especially post-All-Star game, whenever he's tried, he's looked really, really phenomenal. So... You and I talked a little bit about this before we started recording. I'm an optimist, and so are you. Mm -hmm. I naturally, when I look at some of this stuff, I usually come up on the everything's going to be okay side of it. And for the record up front, I 100% believe that if he is healthy and if AD is healthy and they have a couple of weeks to get their rhythm back, I would still feel very confident in their chances to, to uh, be the team holding the trophy at the end. However, there's a bunch of weird stuff with this. Uh, uh, first of all, it's a contact injury, not a non-contact injury. That means there's like in like literal force applied to the ligaments involved, which is a little sketchy. And then two, he suffered injuries before that have knocked him out for portions of a season, uh, like his back spasms in 2015. He had a uh, uh, like a I think it was like a thumb or a wrist injury in Cleveland back when he was there the first time. They kept him out for a few weeks. He Generally speaking, these injuries have happened to him early in the season, and he's been able to recover. Uh, this is going to let's let's say he does miss a month, and you and I have seen mixed intel on this. Some, you know, the Shams had his uh, story come out this morning saying it would be several weeks, and then we just heard uh, from Nick Wright that he thinks it's going to be less than a month, which is could very well be the same definition as several weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, however, let's just say it's a month. That puts us at April twenty second. That puts us at them having, you know, and, and for the record, in the month of May, I think they have four sets of back-to-backs, which is insane. I think, they, I, think I did the math. I'll, I'll, I'll use the American word. I'll, I, I did the math. <laughs> and I think they have, if he comes back in the, the region of like April 20th to 22nd, which is obviously a month from when the injury happened, they'll still have like 14 games left. So there's still quite a bit of time to actually get back into game shape per se. And I think a big part of it's going to come down to where they are in the standings and if whether whether or not like getting back to the three or four seed is achievable for them in terms mm -hmm. of their uh, uh, just in terms of like what games they have left in the schedule and whether or not it's worth going for. Uh, but my biggest concern would be and I talked to you about this before we recorded, but the like his he's just a little bit more of a rhythm player than other guys. I'll give you an example. Like Kevin Durant, when he came back from his uh, his calf strain in the 2019 NBA finals, he came back. And right away looked like himself. Uh, LeBron is a little different in that regard. His his brain is still there. He can still pick teams apart. He can still uh, uh, be an, a really effective defensive player. It's usually not his athleticism that's the problem when he's coming back from being away from the game for a while. But he usually is has a lot of turnovers. He's usually sloppy with his dribble. His jumper usually goes to heck. He, he typically requires a ramp-up period for his overall rhythm in the game. And that's not a, a work ethic thing. That's just a – it's a natural difference between him and, a, and like a Kevin Durant. And so I I will feel – I will feel more confident after I see him come back and I see him get some reps and I see him look like himself. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I don't have any concern about this injury in the long term. It's more about him getting back in time for the Lakers to – like basically treated as like a late season training camp 
and get their get their you know mojo back. And confidence is a huge part of it too, as we've seen with the Lakers shooting. They have a tendency to go cold for long stretches, and they need to kind of play through that mm-hmm. until they snap back out of it. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with you. I think I, I, I have no doubts that he'll be fine. I just want to see it as well, just from a perspective of, I, like, you, like you say, when LeBron misses extended time, he does need, I think, like a 10, 15 game stretch where he sort of gets back to himself. We saw it in the bubble. Like, I know he didn't, you know, care. But I think those eight seeding games did him a lot of good in terms of just ramping back up. Obviously, he was doing basketball activities, but actually being on an NBA court or being on a basketball court in general to compared to practice, as we know, is, is a different prospect to, you know, playing a game. So as long as we get LeBron back by mid, well, so we're 22nd of March today, mid-April, I'll be confident that he'll be fine by the playoffs. It's crazy when you look at their schedule because I looked at it a lot this morning. Like, mm-hmm. there's when you're in the Western Conference, there's just no good time to bring yeah. him back. Like, there's no like when you're in the Eastern Conference, it's like you might look at it and be like, oh man, we get you know Detroit and then the Knicks and then Brooklyn back when Brooklyn was bad and and this team and that team and this team. You're like, oh, that's a seven or eight game stretch where they have one playoff team. Like we can or one decent winning record team. Like we can bring him back here and he can ease back into it. That doesn't exist in the West. Uh, the only reason that I would wait and try to synchronize bringing LeBron and AD back together is AD in particular is, I guess if you had to, he's what I would call someone who's a little bit more likely to experience a re-injury. And mm-hmm. just just because of his kind of natural inclination towards that sort of thing. So I don't love the idea of dropping him back in there without LeBron where they're going to need to lean on him super heavily. And his workload's going to be heavy. And he's going to have to like uh, treat it like a playoff game just because that's what the team needs from him. If you bring them back together, then LeBron can kind of ease AD along. And, and, and which, which I'm, because I'm not worried about LeBron. It's, it's AD that I'm worried about in the sense that he will take time to ramp up. He will uh, wear down. Like last year, he finished the season healthy, right? Like last mm-hmm. year was a great season for the Lakers from the standpoint of health. But what was AD worrying about all playoffs? Oh, I've got this heel contusion. Oh, I've got yeah. this heel contusion. He goes down in game five against uh, Miami, and he's grabbing at his Achilles. And you're like, what in the world is going on here? Like, Even his healthy seasons have this weird banged-up vibe to them where he's just he's just on the verge of having something happen every night. So I, mm-hmm. he's, he's, I, I think they should bring him back together when LeBron's ready and let them both kind of ease into it so neither of them have this insane workload uh, that could potentially lead to a, a something more serious. Well, beautiful segue because the next segment for everyone who, who doesn't have the, the podcast pun in front of them was to talk about AD coming back. If it was last year, I'd agree with you more. But I think having the likes of Dennis Schroeder and Montrez Harrell on the team and then you know moving on to what we will talk about next after this, Let's say they do add an Andre Drummond-type player who somehow has become the most underrated player in the NBA overnight. He's gone to being worse than Damian Jones, apparently. You know, th- that's wild to me. Um, it's ridiculous. But we'll, move, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that in, in a few minutes because this is about AD. I think that his workload doesn't have to be as big as it would have been last year, for example, just because mm. Schroeder's there, Trez is there. Horton Tucker will play, even if he doesn't play in the playoffs, he'll still play rotation minutes just to eat up those minutes. 
I'm more confident that they could bring AD back and ease him into it and just play, let's say, 28 to 30 minutes a night, even without LeBron. But I agree with your premise that it makes the most sense to bring him back with LeBron, just from the standpoint that if anyone knows how to ease him in properly, it is LeBron James. So I from think of it from a strategy standpoint too. Like mm-hmm. if you look at the standings, you know, there was a point where I was like, you want to get the one seed so that you don't have to go through. Because I, I think the Clippers will end up uh, in the two or three seed. But you wanted to get into a position where you had home court. You wanted to get into a position where you didn't have as difficult of a playoff path. Now that kind of seems like it's a long shot. Now, you and mm-hmm. I discussed before, they still have an opportunity after they come back to try to go for something like that. And they could go on a run where they go 10-2 and two in their last 12 games, and that might be enough to get them back up there. So I don't want to throw that out entirely. However, part of me is like, is it time to just embrace what's going to be an insanely difficult playoff path? Mm-hmm. Because the Clippers might be the fourth seed. So even if you were near the top, you might have to play the Clippers in the second round. You know, Denver might go on a run here now that they're all healthy and put back together because Michael Porter Jr. is back. Mm-hmm. The Clippers could be the five seed. Like, you could fight really hard, get back up to four, and have the Clippers in the first round. Like, the point is, is that Denver, L.A., both L.A. teams, Utah, Phoenix, and Portland are all kind of in this, like, mess from one to six. And mm-hmm. all of them are very good. Portland's about to get a lot better as CJ gets back and gets into his groove. I think he just came back, but he's going to be into a groove. So the truth of the matter is those six teams are going to be in some crazy dogfight. That's just how it's going to be. So, you know, in the Lakers of all the teams that need to worry about home court, they need to worry the least because of the fact that they have fans that travel so well. Uh, So from from that standpoint, like, I think that if there's a clear-cut opportunity – to fight back because teams at the top have slipped. Yeah, go for it. But I, I similar to AD's injury before LeBron got hurt, mm-hmm. I would err on the side of caution just with respect to the fact that like you're going to have to go through all these teams anyway. So why not? Why not go through them? You know, safely with taking it a little bit slower with the injuries than you know trying to come back and like okay, you 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 went on a run, you got the three seed. Oh, congrats! You get Portland in the first round and the Clippers in the second round. Like, like that's how it could. That's how it could be theoretically. No, well, precisely, and and also, like you said, the 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 comp that I always have for this team that when even when it's the year started was the two thousand and one Laker team. Just from the standpoint that I thought that they take a lot more time off, not enforced time off, but time off in the sense that you know they just come off a seventy day off season. Um, but obviously with the injuries now, it's become even more so that case where as long as they're healthy going into the playoffs, I have no doubts that they're my favorite by far to make it out the West. But like you said, the main thing is that they don't risk anything when it pertains to bringing back LeBron already, even if it's like a 1% chance of re-injury because they brought him back a week earlier. It's better to just avoid that situation, in my opinion. Yeah, why not? And and again, like if there was a clear, discernible, obvious advantage for seeding, I'd go for it. But there are just mm-hmm. too many good teams right now. Like I, as a Laker fan, I would be just as not concerned, but just just as afraid 
of of losing to Denver as I would uh, with the Clippers. Like Utah. Oh yeah, definitely. Like uh, similar with Utah, I, I, Phoenix looks really really good. And you know what? Phoenix is built in a way that's going to make them better for the playoffs because they have so many wings because they can switch everything because they have a big to throw at some of the best bigs in the league because they have Chris Paul who's one of the better you know playoff players that that we've seen and because of Devin Booker who we've never seen play in the playoffs but his game as a three-level scorer instantly translates and then no no one wants to play Dame in a playoff series I mean no. I would pick the Lakers against all of those teams make no mistake but there's just no there's no discernible advantage to be gained by by trying to avoid one of the teams or by trying to and you know I believe there will be fans in the crowd at these playoff games but not like crazy intense 20,000 people screaming down on you it's yeah. going to be there might be 3 4,000 fans at some of these games like it's not going to be some insane home court advantage that's going to that's going to make some huge uh, uh you know impact on the way the playoff series goes and you, and we just talked about it. I think the Lakers will probably have fans in every arena they go to this year We've seen it already. Like I, I don't know if you remember the first Houston game. I was watching that on the um, on the Houston feed, and basically after every Houston bucket there was booze. After every Laker bucket there was cheers. Like it was a Laker home game. So what did they start to do? They started to pipe in the crowd noise that you'd have if the if the arena was empty, just to make it seem like a home game for the Rockets, which I found hilarious. Which again proves to your point that. Regardless of where they play, whether it's Salt Lake City or Portland, or if it's a if the Clippers are the home team and there's fans allowed in LA, that's going to be like a 90-10 Lakers split. Let's just be honest about that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not worried at all. Like when it pertains to like seeding, the main thing is health, and I I have no doubts that I I'm very confident when they have because obviously judy Cito is known as being like one of the best when it comes to sports science and recovery and whatnot she worked with kobe and as we know kobe bryant did not surround himself with anyone apart from the best so Mm -hmm. that that also puts my mind at ease as it pertains to injury and recovery times and erring on the side of caution when they should the the last thing i want to say regards to this with the standings is like there's Mm -hmm. a there's a way to counter a difficult playoff path by being more focused. So I, I've i said on many occasions that I thought the Lakers were far and away the best team in the league last year. And it was funny because like the Lakers would lose a playoff game last year. Like they'd lose game three to Denver or they'd mm-hmm. lose game, you know, uh, 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 game five to Miami. And everyone would be like singing the praises of the other team. And don't get me wrong, like I wasn't trying to be disrespectful to them, but I would be on Twitter screaming like, the Lakers weren't playing hard. Like, <laughs> like they weren't playing hard. Like I could, cause I know what it looked like. They were the mm-hmm. best defense in the league last year, in my opinion, not by the stats, but in, in just the visuals. And I, and I was sitting there, sitting, like they're leaving shooters open. They're leaving shooters open. They're not, it, uh, you know, they, they weren't dialed in. And uh, it, the thing is, is it didn't happen very often in that playoff run, but it did happen. And they did trick mm-hmm. off games in, in each of those series, uh, uh, particularly that late, uh, the, the, to Denver and to, to Miami because they uh, the the ones they lost to Portland and Houston were game ones which are always funky, um, but the point is is that let's say you get you you get done and there's some crazy playoff path. Okay, I've got to play you know Phoenix in the first round and then I have to play the Clippers and then I have to play Utah whatever it is and then I have to play Brooklyn. Well, the fear is wear and tear, right? The fear is mm-hmm. like these super insanely competitive playoff series 
and you just don't have gas in the tank. Well, you can fight that by taking care of business. That's where you're like, I'm better than Phoenix. We're going to beat Phoenix in four or five games. So then I get five or six days off, you know, as, as the other teams are beating the heck out of each other. That's where when you're playing Utah, you take care of business. You get them beat quickly. So that if you end up in a war with the Clippers or a war with Brooklyn, you have the legs to be able to withstand that lengthy physical playoff series, which is going to have to be the case because with the Clippers in particular, it's going to be overly physical. And then Brooklyn, you need to beat the heck out of them physically in order Mm -hmm. to beat them. So that'll be the key thing to watch if they do end up in a super crazy long playoff run is how quickly they deal with a Phoenix or a Brooklyn or a Portland or a Denver, or not a Brooklyn, excuse me, a Phoenix, Utah, Portland, or Denver. Those are the teams that they have to, the teams that are clearly better than, those are the teams they've got to wrap up in four or five games so that they can get rest in the middle of that playoff run. I I agree with you there. I absolutely agree. And I also think that it wouldn't surprise me that if they see that they're by far the better team, that they do mailing games like they did in the past off season, just because like you said, it's all about preparation for the next next series. If you're already hypothetically three nil up, who cares if you lose one game, you know, just settle business in game five, I guess. Like that's that that'll be my <laughs> that'll be my mentality of it all. You know, if we win in game four, we win great. If not, you know, we got game five to sort business out, which we saw throughout the rest of the playoffs, you know. It, 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 I'd I'd have a harder time believing it all if I didn't already see it transpire in October. And that's why I guess I've still got the high confidence levels that I do, just because I think this team's even more talented than it was last season. And they were dominant. Like they they were dominant. They like there were losses, but they were dominant. Because I mean, theoretically, if you think about it, if a team is clearly better than another team, it should be a sweep every time. Mm -hmm. But the reason why they're not sweeps usually when when the other team is competitive is like a team will let their foot off the gas. They ride the home crowd. You know, maybe it's a crazy hot shooting night from a role player. Whatever it is, there are things that can swing that the other way around. But the, the diff, like the, I thought Miami was not the best team that the Lakers played in that playoff series. It was probably no. Denver. Uh, but the reason why they tricked off two games is AD showed up wearing gold shoes and they wore the black jerseys, and they were having a party mm-hmm. on the court before the trophy was in their hands, and Miami made them pay for it. And 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 that, that's the reality of it is like you can, you know, I, I just am a big believer that you don't want to let the, the series drag on unnecessarily, put wear and tear on guys. It's more important to close the deal when you can, especially mm-hmm. against those inferior opponents. So that, because I think the Clippers series is going to be six, at least. I think they present some real matchup problems to the Lakers. And, uh, and, and quite frankly, you just, they're not going to be the kind of team that's just going to roll over and quit. No. I don't think. And, and then same goes with Brooklyn, like just, just on crazy scheme alone, switching everything and their insane isolation scores, they're going to get one or two off of you no matter what. Uh, so the, those series are going to be long series. So you, you, I think it would be advantageous for them to really, really attack their other matchups to try to free things up. With the Clippers, I can see it going six. But I think that's all predicated on, A, Paul George, because I trust Kawhi 100%. Um, I think Kawhi will absolutely show up. I think it's also predicated on them finding a guard. I think them not having a lead guard and what their best guard being Terrence Mann. <laughs> like, you know, that, that, that that's a legitimate issue for, for the Clippers. You know, no disrespect to Lou Williams, who we all know was really, really 
good in his prime. Patrick Beverly can't stay on, a, on an NBA court, and Reggie Jackson is Reggie Jackson. It's what it is. Um, and I don't like calling NBA players out, but you know there are better, way better rota- guard rotations than what the Clippers have. Um, and don't get me started on Luke Kennard's contract. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> You're right. They have a weak. They have a weak guard core. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. And like every the the Lakers don't, which is the crazy part. Is going into last season that was the fear. Last season was like, mm-hmm. okay, Avery Bradley's washed, you know, Rondo's washed, Danny Green is okay, he had a good year in Toronto, but he's older, maybe he's not worth $15 million. Alex Crusoe's a G League guy. That was the fear going into last season, and they ended up putting together an average guard core just because they all defended. Uh, but this year, with Dennis Schroeder, and, and with Alex Caruso becoming a much better three-point shooter and being an all-defense level player, like the Lakers have, next to LeBron and AD, they have an above-average guard core, mm-hmm. in my opinion, and that's what makes them scary. And for of the course. record, I would pick them against the Clippers. I would 100% well, no, pick them against the Clippers. I just think I think that when you have two big, big wings, a 6'8 Paul George and then a 6'7 Kawhi is super strong, mm-hmm. and that that's where they're going to – in a playoff series, there's going to be a series – there's going to be a game in there or two where they just bully the smaller Laker guards and get a lot of shots to go, draw a lot of fouls. Mm-hmm. And they're just – I think they're – I think they have the tools to push that series uh, a little bit. And, and you know how it is with Anthony Davis. Like, oh, yeah. LeBron is LeBron in a playoff series. Like, he's just so dependable. But, like, AD is a little bit more of, like, a, is he there tonight or is he not? You know, that that kind of thing. All it takes is two of those, and now we're going six games, you mm-hmm. know. And, and that, that nope, definitely. Uh, absolutely. But I also think the biggest wild card in, in the Clippers going really far or not is Serge Ibaka. Because at the start of the season, I thought he, was, he looked really phenomenal. And then like before All-Star break and post, I don't think he's been anywhere near as good as he was in December time. Um, I don't know what it is. I, I would put money on him probably being good come playoff time just because I've seen him be really good in the playoffs. But you never know, you know, attrition just might have got to him at this point. You know, he, he's what, 31, 32 years old. So, he's you know, only 31, would... which is crazy. Yeah, like you would have thought he's older, right? I mean, it feels like it. I I've, like when I saw him sign for the Clippers, I thought it was like 34, 35. I but that, that might be because I watched him play professionally since he was 18 at Real Madrid, though. So there's that with me as well. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I, I have that, you know. So moving on, because we mentioned Andre Drummond earlier, and you know, the trade deadlines on Thursday. And obviously, I think the Lakers now have a higher urgency as it pertains to the trade market. I don't think they'll make a ton of moves, FYI. I think they'll stay relatively, you know, pat as, as in terms to the roster. But if there is a chance to get better, I think they will get better. Um, but I don't think there's many options out there to get better because of the whole playing tournament. I think the playing tournament has completely killed the trade and buyout market as it would be let's say even like a year ago. Like, I don't think a Markeith Morris would become available this year if he was on a team that was like on the 10th seed, which is where Detroit was, you know. So the Andre Drummond I want to touch on first because I think he's the most obvious one. And I touched on him becoming the most underrated player in the NBA now. Andre Drummond has his limitations. We all know this, you know. He's more suited to be playing in, you know, early 2000s basketball. But 
I do not see this whole negativity around bringing him in. And I want your take on Drummond just because I am 100% for it and I always have been. I just thought it was highly unrealistic because I didn't think Van Gilbert would buy him out. So I I talked about this with Raj on my podcast last Mm -hmm. week on Friday. The the thing with Andre Drummond is he's been – arguably the best player on every team he's been on, which is not a good thing. It's just, it, no. there, he's been depended on to do too much. And the examples that I use, you know, Damian Jones uh, and this guy Claxton that's been – Nick Claxton that's been playing for mm-hmm. the Nets. When you give a guy who's got a lot of talent, you know, uh, 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 I, should, or I shouldn't even say a lot of talent, just a very clearly discernible talent. So for, for these guys, it's that they're big and athletic. You know, they're mobile, 6'11", mm-hmm. seven-foot-tall guys. Uh, and you give them a super easy job, you know, which is like all I need you to do is rim run, uh, grab rebounds, try to block everything around the rim, and that's literally I'll never ask you to do anything else. They're gonna they're gonna excel. Andre Drummond has never had that easy of a job, and so don't get me wrong, Damian Jones is great, and I think he's an awesome insurance policy. Should mm-hmm. Andre Drummond thing not materialize, I would sign him for the rest of the season, uh, but. Andre Drummond is going to be asked to do exactly what Dwight Howard did last year. Think about how many Dwight Howard post-ups there were last year. Just a handful. You know, like maybe, yeah. Yeah, maybe one a week, maybe. And like uh, Andre Drummond's going to be in the exact same role. And this is the guy, if, if, if you were going to Vegas tomorrow and you had to bet on a player to get a 2020 game, right now, you'd bet Andre Drummond. He's the highest, uh, he has the most talent in the league to be able to go out and just get 2020, just a offensive rebound, put back dunks, taps around the basket, and all these things along those lines. When he's in a hyper-simplified role with the Lakers, there's no chance he doesn't excel. And I, I, I am with you. I do not understand any of the pessimism that surrounds it. And I would, I, for the record, I would entirely shape their trade deadline and buyout strategy around Andre Drummond. If I have intel, like if I've been talking to Andre Drummond's agent, and I have every bit of what amounts to a guarantee that he's going to come if he gets bought out. And if I have good intel from the Cavs that he's going to get bought out, I'm building the whole strategy around that. At that point, I would move Montrez because mm-hmm. I think he's the most tradable contract for the Lakers in terms of salary amount. And he does bring something that other teams around the league will value. There's been stories out that Charlotte wants him, for instance. And I would move Montrez to try to bring in a shooter. Uh, but but if if Andre Drummond's not coming, then I'd stay completely pat. I wouldn't move anybody. Uh, but I view Andre Drummond as that valuable of a front court piece for the Lakers in what they'll be asking him to do. That I I, I would I would center the entire strategy. I have I would bet my life, health not permitting, as long as he doesn't get hurt. Mm-hmm. I would bet my life that he would be a devastatingly effective simplified five man for the Lakers. Well, I, I said that he looked like an all-star next to LeBron and AD. Oh, yeah. Like, he's – like, I think Dwight Howard last year is a great comp for him, but I think he'd be even better because obviously Dwight's at the twilight of his career and he's not Dwight Howard anymore, and I think people forget just how good Dwight was in, you know, 2009 to 2012. So I, I agree with you. I wouldn't trade Trez just because – I like having Trez off the bench as a scoring option. I think it's a really interesting wrinkle to have, especially in the playoffs, because it's another guy that, let's say, teams zone in on LeBron and AD. It's a guy that you can throw the ball to, 
and he will score for you. And his the way, some of some of the angles that he scores that are just mind-boggling. Like he had an and one last night, just for example, where he was behind the rim somehow, he was behind the backboard, and he still puts it in. And I'm like, you know what? You do you, Trez. I hope you get your money at the end of this. <laughs> like I, I really do. That if anyone deserves money in, in the NBA, it's Montrez Harrell. Um, but one guy who I would trade, and it's not an instant reaction type thing. It's I fully believe that I think that you can get value for him just because we've seen him be really good in playoff games is KCP. And it's not a knee-jerk reaction or anything like that because I'd be perfectly happy if he was, if he was on the roster, for example. It wouldn't be like, oh, you know, we kept KCP, what the hell are we doing type of ordeal. I fully believe that KCP will be fine come playoff time. If you can get better, however, and let's say you give up like a lottery protected first round pick like 10 years from now, I would do it like legitimately. And, you know, I want to get your take on that. So the, I, I made this point about the Phoenix game. I don't like to overreact to what they, what they look like when they're <laughs> doing something that's not their job. You know, like I, I would, I, and so from that standpoint, like I, I am, such a believer in what KCP does next to LeBron and AD. Mm -hmm. And I thought he was their third best player in the playoffs last year. I agree. 100% agree, by the way. He was so dependable in terms of he was the guard who was most likely to be in the right spot in the right time defensively. He was the uh, their most dependable spot-up shooter. And he did such a great job attacking closeouts, including some monstrous pivotal, gigantic shots and plays that he made against Miami in the finals. Namely, we all think about that huge corner three that he hit, but he also had that like that rip through one leg jump finish right hand layup off the glass that he had. And uh, uh, the, shortly after that, he is so good when his game is simplified, but when his, when his shot quality dips and, mm-hmm. and, and all of these things dip as a result of the lack of LeBron and AD, of course he's going to struggle. But, but my thing is about the, it's about the bigger vision. Like I, I would think that if you're planning for LeBron, like if they have intel that AD is going to be 70% as good as he's going to be, like this is a – let's say that – and this is obviously not the case. But let's say mm-hmm. that they have intel from their – from like some MRIs and stuff that they think AD is going to be – like this is degenerative and he's going to be a shell of himself. Then, mm-hmm. yeah – then I think you need to adjust your strategy a bit. But if you have any, if you have any confidence in the fact that LeBron and AD are going to be LeBron and AD, I think he's such a clear shoe into their closing lineup next to LeBron and AD as just a dependable two-way guard. I don't think it's. I don't think. I don't think it. It makes sense. That's just me. That's just me personally, though. And I, mm-hmm. I, for the record, he's been bad. Like he's been. He's been bad. I. I. I, I get that. I do. But I. I, I'm not worried about him in a playoff series, and that's why I, I would hang on to him. Like, I completely get that side of things, which is why I think it's an interesting conundrum because there is a part of me like you where I'm like, I've seen him be really good in the playoffs next to LeBron and AD, and I have no doubt that if we're just a little patient with him that he will get back to that stage. But I, there's a lot of talk about how, you know, Toronto don't want to sign Norman Powell to a long-term deal, and he's got a player option at the end of this year. I think Norman Powell is objectively a better player than Gontavious Caldwell-Pope, and I think fit-wise he'd be the same, but just better. 
if you can get an, I'm not saying you can, by the way, like, like we discussed on the timeline earlier, I think it is a bit pie in the sky, but there is, if there is any inclination from Detroit, uh, from Toronto, I apologize. I have Detroit because of KCP in my head. Um, if, you, if there is any inclination from Toronto that you can get Norman Powell for KCP and let's say a first like in 2027 that's lottery protected, I don't see how the Lakers don't do that move. If you get what I mean. So I would. Uh, so as we talked about this morning, I would 100 percent uh, do it for Norman Powell, and I agree with you. I think he's a. I think you, I think the crazy thing with Norman Powell is he's actually become a very good defensive player. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the thing is, is that. I, so there was talk about who was the guy they were talking about? PJ Tucker. Yeah, which was when stupid. PJ, when PJ Tucker was coming up, and everyone was like, "Oh, maybe we'll just throw you know some salary filler." It's like uh, the problem is, is teams want PJ Tucker because they know he's going to help you in a playoff series. And I think the same goes for Norman Powell. Like I think, I think what would end up happening is it would it would be like uh, 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 Masai Ujiri would just start calling people and be like, hey, I'm about to trade Norman Powell to the Lakers for KCP. Can you mm-hmm. beat that? <laughs> like, I, and, and, and I think te- I think there'd be a half dozen teams that would jump in that, that line. Would so, do it like that. Exactly. So like my, my so I the way I would frame something like that is would you trade THT in KCP for for uh, a Norman Powell and some other salary filler, would you do that? Because that to me is a more realistic outcome because now, like if I'm Toronto, made it I'm worth like, that while. if I'm Toronto, I'm like with my player development, I'm turning THT into an all-star. So like, the, and and so I would want the Lakers offer. Mm-hmm. So that's where I, I, I try to frame this stuff. Like I don't want to trade THT. Like I, no. I like THT, but when I'm talking about this kind of stuff, I like to frame the conversation with – what if it was expensive? Would you then want Norman Powell? You know that for, if that makes sense. For me personally, if you have intel that Norman Powell will sign at let's say seventeen million a year after this season, I probably would. Just from the fact that, as much as I love THT, I think Norman Powell, especially because he said defensively he's improved a hell of a lot to a point where I didn't imagine he would improve. I probably would pull the trigger. Just because, like we touched on, even though I love THC, the timelines don't match between Taylor and Horton Tucker and what the Lakers want to do in the next two to three years. Whereas I think Norman Powell's timeline absolutely does match that. And I think, again, an, an amazing complimentary piece. And I have no doubt that the Lakers um, drafting staff will find another diamond in the rough like they did with basically everyone apart from Anthony Brown in the past six years, which is insane in itself. Um <laughs> I would do it. I'd probably be reticent to do it, but in terms of winning in the next couple of years, that's where my mind would go anyway. What what about you? I'm interested in that. So I would 100% do it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I would look at it from the standpoint of, you know, last year, I think we can all agree that the Lakers are better this year than they were last year. You know, 100%. injuries aside. But in terms of talent, I think we can all agree with that. However, I think last year they had a much bigger margin for error because KD's nets weren't ready, because the uh, um, some of these other teams in the West like Utah and Phoenix weren't quite as good. You know, I, I, I felt really, really confident last year in the Lakers' ability to, to get out, even though they had less talent. This year, they're just going to have to go through so many good teams Mm-hmm. That like I frame it like this. 
if they are, you know, if you had to assign an NBA 2K rating to them, like in the Lakers team rating is a 96 and you're like, okay, they're the best team. Well, what if the 96 can get beat, but the 97 won't or the 98 won't? Mm -hmm. It seems like a tiny improvement, but that tiny improvement could be the difference. And I'm not talking about, and we're not talking about some little buyout guy here. No, we're talking about Talon Horton Tucker, who may or may not even be in the playoff rotation, and KCP, the guy who would be directly swapping minutes for a really, really, really good two-way guard from Toronto. So that's the that, that's the way I look at it. Is it's like you're you're doing a minute for minute swap with KCP and and Norman Powell, and you're trading a young player who probably, if we know Frank may not really depend on him in the playoffs anyway. So if I frame it within that mindset, it's like you're sacrificing what will be probably one day a starting guard for the Lakers, maybe one day, not an all-star in my opinion, but one day a starting guard for the Lakers for a, a an increased opportunity to win a title this year. Because that's the thing is like there's a chance that we're all watching the Lakers five years from now and LeBron's gone and Anthony mm-hmm. Davis is still there. And they're the Denver Nuggets. Like they're a four or five seed in the West. And at that point, the value of THT may seem silly relative to, oh, they lost in the conference finals in 2021 in game seven. And it was because KCP couldn't make a shot or KCP wasn't bringing enough offensively. So mm-hmm. that, that, that to me, I, it's, and it's a conflicting ideology because for the record, really, really smart people disagree with me on this. It's just, I, I, I personally believe with the exception of totally mortgaging your future in a foolish manner, if you have an opportunity to improve on the margins with an asset like THT, which is an asset, but not like an end-all be-all asset, I would make the move. That's just, but that's my, and I'm going to frame everything in that type of perspective for me personally. No, and I'm of the same mindset as you. Like, I'd love to keep THT. And I like, I'm a bit higher on his ceiling than you, but it's not like, a discernible difference where it's like night and day there is like like you agree like like i agree with you the, the lakers are just with lebron and realistically we have lebron for another two years at least before you know he's 38 and out of contract i think he'll re-up by the way when he gets to that point i i, I think this is his last stop in the nba i i, I don't want to like see people like this going, oh will LeBron leave no he won't I think once LeBron leaves the Lakers I think he'll be done with basketball completely um, just because I think Rob Palink has ingratiated himself so well with Clutch with LeBron himself I think Le- LeBron legitimately is enjoying himself the most he ever has done in his career just from looking back at it I think the, 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 the talent he has around him the way the organization looks after him, I think LeBron is just legitimately the happiest that he's ever been. And also being 36 helps with that as well. I think he's gained a lot of life knowledge that he didn't have when he was, say, 23 years old. So I would do it. I'd be reticent to do it, but I still probably would. Um, I would be interested in seeing if they'd give us like a Terrence Davis as well in return, because I think Terrence Davis is another good young guy who a good wing as well and another guy that you can just throw into a playoff series and I think he'll be fine. So I I think Norman Powell's probably the most realistic option on the trade market. I think Bogdan Bogdanovich is 
an interesting option as well. I just think his salary is a bit too far out of reach right now at 18 mil comparatively mm. to what the Lakers have that he can make a serious move for him that wouldn't be like upped by, I don't know, a Golden State offering the Minnesota pick for him. Mm-hmm. And so, so we're looking at 13.5 million if you were to mm-hmm. pair KCP and THT. So you could absolutely yeah. try to pull another, you know, somewhere in that, uh, that the hard cap becomes a factor, so they can't take yeah. too much. But uh, you could certainly get somebody else in there. And, you know, I, the thing with Bogdan is like, and it's so hard to tell if like what was happening in Sacramento was fool's gold or if he's just next to T- uh, Trey Young and Trey Young just, is a hard guard to play with. It's hard to tell I, which. Of I those think it's two a lot is. of. Yeah, and that could very well be the case. But like, I, I just think like you know, if there's an, I would, I, I think that the Norman Powell one makes way more sense because he translates defensively. Uh, uh, but at the end of the day, like I, uh, this is my overall perspective on it: is the Lakers were damn good this year when LeBron and AD were playing. Everything needs to be framed within that. Uh, concept and they hadn't even really figured out how to win the non-LeBron minutes yet which like I beat the non-LeBron minutes with a drum uh, uh, beat that drum all season long Uh, uh, not because I was saying like pumping up LeBron and saying oh the Lakers suck and LeBron's carrying them no Mm -hmm. but I was just saying that it's fascinating to me that with as much talent as they have they haven't figured that part out yet and they will I really believe they will but I think by next year uh, even with LeBron probably on the decline a little bit, that they'll figure out the non-LeBron minutes. And so for me, it's like, don't try to fix something that isn't broke. The only thing that's broke with this Lakers roster is LeBron's ankle and KD's calf. That's literally the only thing that's broken with this roster. Everything mm-hmm. else uh, is is dependable, in my opinion. I, I, I agree, for the record. And like I said, the only move I really would do is bring Andre Drummond in, and then if you can trade for Norman Powell, I would. I still see that being a bit too pie in the sky. And if they make some move around the margin, great. So be it. I trust Rob Palinka and, you know, whoever else is making that judgment. But I don't see them. I see them making a move. I just have no idea what it is, if you know what I mean. That, that That's the most frustrating part for me at this point. No, I hear you. And, and I think you'll see some Laker fans panic if they don't make a move. And I think that'll be silly. But man, I, I just, th- just thought, I just, just in passing thought about what a, Dennis Schroeder, Norman Powell, LeBron, AD, Andre Drummond starting lineup would look like, and that's pretty scary, man. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> and then let's say, let's say hypothetically, you have a Montrez Harrell, Wes Matthews, Markeith Morris, Kyle Kuzma, Alex Caruso. I think ridiculous. Like depth wise, I think you're looking at the most deep team in the NBA, and not unbelievable, close. unbelievable, so, man. We'll, we'll, and that, we'll would be, and that would be that would be the type of roster that would be capable of running through Dame and then Kawhi and Paul George and then you know whoever it is they have to run through and then Brooklyn mm-hmm. at the end. That would be the team that would be capable of doing it. I agree. Let's end on a positive note, just because you know I like positive notes. It's fun. <laughs> it's great. I, I hate negativity, but I, I, I'll, I'll spring this on you because I spring it on every first time guest. So ever since Kobe Bryant passed away, I do a thing where I ask people for their favorite Kobe moment. If I ask you beforehand, it's not as interesting because it's more rehearsed. So I'm asking you straight up on the spot, what is your favorite Kobe Bryant moment? So my favorite Kobe Bryant moment is, uh, you'll probably remember this, post-Achilles, it was one of it in his first handful of games that he played. I can't remember who they were playing, but he was wearing they were wearing the short-sleeved black jerseys. Mm-hmm. 
and he drove baseline in a post up uh, on the right side and threw down a reverse double pump dunk. It was in his first handful of games coming back. And uh, I remember when it happened, I like jumped off my couch and freaked out because like I kind of like, I think all of us post Achilles had kind of mentally prepared ourselves for that to never happen again. (laughs) And uh, unfortunately, like he never really did regain form. Uh, But there for like a second after that happened, uh, I remember just like this like instant rush of nostalgia and like optimism and like, oh my God, he's back, (laughs) you know, because it it ended up being meaningless meaningless in the long run. But it was one of my favorite moments because I think like, you know, I'm a big LeBron fan, uh, uh, but I think a lot of times Twitter has a tendency to, you know, uh, uh, ruin all of this for all of us because everyone has to be one thing or the other. It's all, it's all, uh, everything's got to be, you know, hate or love. It can never be in between. And I think you and I are on the same page here. We're like, above all else, I'm a huge basketball fan. And, uh, and like I'm six foot six with a six ten wingspan who, uh, uh, I, I can't mimic LeBron, but Kobe, Kobe was the guy for me. Kobe was the guy that when I was working on my game, he was the guy that I watched and mimicked. He wasn't my favorite player in the world, but I loved him. And I love, I, I feel the same way about all these players in the league today. And, and I wish we could all get back to that where we all, uh, love all of them equally. But the truth of the matter is, is like, that moment was so cool, I think, for all basketball fans, but for me in particular, because it was like the first like Kobe moment after we all thought we might not ever get to see it. Mm-hmm. No, that, that, that's a great one. And this is why I ask it off the cuff, because everyone's got, a di- literally, everyone that I've talked to so far has got a different one. From Howard Beck to Mike Trudell to you. <laughs> Mike, Tr- Mike Trudell's is the best. What did he say? So he talked about him and Kobe um, playing ping pong. And he beat Trudell. Trudell beat Kobe in ping pong. And Kobe went and bought a ping pong table, played for a year, just so he could beat Mike Trudell in a ping pong game. And I was like, if that doesn't, if that doesn't show the crazy MF of Kobe was, what does he know? That is hilarious. Because he was beating everyone else, but he couldn't beat Mike. So did did you see that uh that post that went viral the other day? I think it was yesterday, actually, where it was like Kobe was playing against, uh, gosh, who was it? Um, it was that uh, defensive guard for the, the the Grizzlies. Every once in a while, I'll just Tony randomly. Allen. Tony Allen, yeah. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm usually so good with names, but I have random blank spots. Anyway, uh, uh, Tony Allen was like, yeah, he, he kept like randomly saying dates to me during the game. And I looked up the dates later. They were the dates of my cousin's birthdays. Or something <laughs> something like that. And I was like, I was like, that story's probably not true. I was like, but like, if you found out it was, you wouldn't be surprised because that's no. just the kind of guy. That, yeah, it's just the kind of guy he is. Or Shumpert's story about when the first time he faced him in the garden. Another great story, you know. Which one so, was that again? Uh, uh, what he said. So Shumpert was playing a really good game, and Kobe was playing ass for three quarters. Shumpert was talking trash to him, and then Kobe took over the fourth quarter, beat him, and tapped him on the bottom. Went, "Good job, young man." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. And, and I agree with you for the record. Why can't we just enjoy both LeBron and Kobe, or LeBron and Steve, uh, Stephen Curry, or you know? KD and all these guys, we should just enjoy them more. You know, you might might have your preference, but you know, I I never got the Steph Curry hate. He's one of my favorite players to watch in the whole league. And like you said, because we love the game so much, you know, I have my allegiances of being a Laker guy, but 
I still love basketball on the whole. And even when the Lakers weren't great, I was still watching all the other teams. So it really makes no difference who plays for who as long as the basketball's great. And as long as the Lakers are winning, I guess. Exactly. Like, that, that matters a bit. But yeah, Jason, thank you so much for coming on. Where can the great people find you and you, great work? I appreciate the invite, Alan. Um, you guys can find me if you look up the Jason Timph podcast. Um, I do a couple of weekly ones uh, with recurring guests, so then I sometimes go on by myself. I do a Laker-specific one every Friday morning at 8 o'clock uh, Pacific Standard Time. Uh, and then my Twitter handle is at underscore JasonLT. That's underscore Jason LT, and you can find me complaining and or being optimistic there as well. But Alan, hey, dude, this was awesome. I really, really appreciate uh, the invite. And yes, we will absolutely anytime, man, anytime. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Be sure to listen to Jason's podcast. Give them a five-star rating review wherever you find your podcast. Be sure to give the Lakers side chats a five-star rating review wherever you know you listen to your podcast. Unfortunately, just uh, I want to end on this, but I have to end on a bit of a negative note. Um, as we're recording right now, I get a notification through from the Lakers Twitter that Elgin Bayless unfortunately passed away. Oh no! Um, so I I was I was going to end on a positive note, but I have to add in you know Elgin Baylor, one of the great 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 NBA people, great Laker. Rest in peace to him. Condolences to his family. Please, guys, stay safe wherever you are. We are in a pandemic still, you know. Please don't look at Florida and be like, this is how we have to live. <laughs> look after yourselves, wear a mask, get vaccinated. Take care.